welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and this week's episode was recorded from a recent playtest event held at Chicago's Logan Theater. While there, I interviewed many of the developers in order to find out a bit more about their projects. Often, their work will take at least a year to complete while they manage a full-time job, and I hope you'll listen in or check out their progress with the contact information they mention. And now, on to the show. Compositions created by Side Hustle Studio. Here I have with me Tracy, uh, Tom, and Bill. And I was just fascinated uh, just popping over here to see the setup. Uh, it looks like a tile based building game, and it's based on a certain uh, color theory. Uh, and Tom, could you explain that for me, please? Sure. Um, so if you've ever been to design school, you'll, uh, you'll have remembered your color theory classes. Um, so there's some very basic uh, color theory principles of uh, analogous, complementary, and triadic. Um, and so we've applied those to a game um, where you uh, take the, the tiles, and as you turn them over, you discover different uh, color modes on those tiles and basically build this wonderful, um, completely unique composition every time you play. That's awesome. And th- I mean... I kind of walked in with the impression that this w- had been brewing for years, because that's just where my, my head goes to, like, these creative projects. It just takes a long time to nail them down. But it sounds like you guys have been doing this in under a year. Tracy, can you talk a little bit about, like, the development process behind the game? So we started developing this game um, for a class that we both took at UIC. And we enjoyed it so much that we actually decided to come back to it and see where we could take it. Um, so it's been about three months since we've seriously been developing the game. And we've come up with a brand new rule set. We've put together like new tile designs with different shapes. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. And we've added new features like um, the goal cards to the game and game mode tiles and stuff like that. One thing that I've noticed talking about uh, games in development with students is they're not strictly coming from, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you all play games, but you're not like in school to be a game developer or a game designer. You're coming from more artistic backgrounds. Uh, Could you uh, see yourselves working on another game in the future, or, or do you see yourselves uh, going down a different uh, creative path? So the super funny thing was when we, uh, you know, when we got the like challenge to design a game in class, um, Tracy and I pretty much immediately came up with uh, two games, uh, and they were originally printed front and back. Uh, and the next game we are super super excited about as well is pretty much already developed. Um, so we're going to be like running this one out uh, on Kickstarter uh, mid-January, and then the next one's going to be following up pretty soon after. Um, yeah, there's 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 so much in design to you know to really work with uh, compositionally. You you learn some so much about uh, you know space and color and uh, all of this stuff that it really leads to making visually kind of uh, pleasing games. Tracy, when designing games, do you draw from other uh, games uh, or as influence, or do you have uh, other interests or hobbies that would uh, inspire you? 
Well, I never thought I would be designing games, honestly. <laughs> um, but once you start, it's kind of addicting. So we have this game that we kind of thought would be a help to us personally, and also um, just different designers and artists in general, because color theory is something that you think you have a really good grasp on until you actually try to apply it in a situation under pressure, and then you completely forget everything. But we really like working with these kind of more basic concepts, and then also our second game works with positive and negative space, kind of based more on like a carcassonne building um, enclosures of either black or white. So um, yeah, I'm sure after we finish that, who knows what else we'll do. Awesome, and when this uh, project, this Kickstarter goes live, or if there is a place where we can find information right now, where we can, can we find you guys? Uh, we, we, have a, we have a website, uh, sidehustlestudio.co. Um, and That's dot .co, right? Not dot .com. Yeah, yeah, dot .co. <laughs> the, the dot .com's like four thousand dollars. Um, so yeah, dot .co, um, and there's a mailing list on there, so we'll keep you up to date um, once the project launches. That's fantastic. Thank you guys so much. Next, I'm here with Tom Huffman. I'm taking a look at his mobile game uh, called Up Golf. And Tom, the one thing that stuck out to me right away about this game is it seems perfect for playing on the train. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's designed to be played in uh, portrait with like one hand. So you can definitely just play it on the train and just kind of chill out and play it, you know? Now, uh, how long have you been developing games? Have you been working on other stuff in the past? Yeah, I've been working on games. Um, quite a while actually now. So I was a student uh, like three or four years ago at DePaul doing game dev. Um, and I worked outside games doing similar stuff and then last couple years I've been doing games. Yeah. I, I see you here you were working with uh, I believe William Chur on Manifold Garden. That's another guy who's in the Chicago area doing independent work. Yeah I worked with him uh, a little over a year ago. I was a contract programmer um, basically implementing gameplay and optimization and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, uh, for Upgolf, uh, did you have a, a mission in mind when you started working on this game, or, or like a, a goal? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, I just wanted to make something simple and fun that I could turn around relatively quickly and get out there. Um, this is my first like full solo game, I guess. So it's a lot of trial and error, learning as I go. Uh, this is kind of a game to teach me how to do it just by doing it. Yeah. Well, it looks cool so far. I, I, one cool thing that you've got is there's a lot of different options for, uh, for like themes and uh, different characters and skins. Uh, can you talk about like how that works into like the, the monetization of the game? Sure. Uh, so everything works on kind of a like random unlock system. So as you play, you get um, coins and you spend the coins on packages like presents. Uh, and then in the presence you get new animals, so like you can have a pig or a bear or something like that as a ball, or um, different color palettes. So the entire game, all the colors can switch out and dynamically change over like day and night cycles, stuff like that. Um, so they're designed to be basically just the unlock and progression. There's not too much progression outside of that, it's just aesthetics. Now you describe this as like your, your first solo project. Uh, do you have, without giving away all your secrets, mind you, do you have uh, something more uh, like 
with a bigger scope that you'd like to work on in the future? It's hard to say. I, I like doing kind of small stuff, I guess. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if I have like a big dream project, I guess. I just want to do simple things that are easy to make. Not easy probably not the right word for it, but just like they have very concise design goals and are like scope fairly small. I think that's fun to work on. So something similar to this is my next project, I guess. Not this game, but you know what I mean, just like similar scope, similar theme, I guess. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you look at uh, like recent mobile uh, games that hit big, I mean, there are some really cool ones out there, like Crossy Road, Pac-Man 256, that are small in scope, but there's not only uh, fun gameplay there, but there is intricacy, and like you can play and play and like learn new things every time you play, even though like the rules seem simple on the surface. Like here, you're uh, there is a golf score, like that, and I mean that's uh, one of the oldest, most frustrating and complex games there is. Yeah, yeah, but I, I try to break it down just to be incredibly simple, like it. It controls as easy as like Angry Birds. It's basically just a slingshot mechanic where you pull back from the ball and throw it up into the air. Um, so mechanically, it's there's one action in the entire game, and you learn it very fast by just doing it. Um, so like the the beginning challenge is pretty small, and you can just kind of get better and better at, at that one action, and that's that's fun like that. Yeah. If I want to find out more about this game or uh, see it in action soon in my phone, where can I find it? Well, I have my Twitter, and I have a website that I'm working on, which is all part of the same thing, but I have um, upgolf.huffythompson.com is my website uh, for the game, and then Huffy Thompson is my Twitter. So I post to that, and I have trailers and gameplay up and stuff like that on there, Just pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. I can't wait. Thank you very much. I'm here viewing Project High Rise, the tablet edition. Uh, the current PC and Mac release is already available. I'm here with Soma Sim, Matt, and Ethan. Matt and Ethan, it's very nice to meet you guys. You know, what we've been talking about up till now has been so good. It's, it's always tough to like recapture organic conversation, so I appreciate if we go in a different direction. But like talking about the challenges of uh, transitioning from a PC-built game to a tablet-built game. I mean, the PC game really assumed that there would be a mouse and a keyboard there. Like, the interface was so corded the experience on the PC. Like, there will be a mouse, there will be a keyboard. As you move the mouse around, that context is what really determines where you are. And then when you move to a tablet, that's gone. So now you have, sort of have to transition to how are we going to deal with things like mouse overs, things like having right clicks, having like the different kinds of interfaces in the keyboard and shortcuts and all the stuff that you have on a PC. Like, how do we get that to somebody's like two or three fingers? And how? When it comes to a game like Project High Rise, which is a simulation game that is so UI heavy, and that depends on the UI to communicate what you're building, how you're doing, what you're doing next. Like, how do we get all of that from where, where it was in a PC and all those mouse overs and all those menus into a tablet in a way that makes sense as you're touching and tapping through? So we ended up doing a giant list of every like UI element that we had in the PC game and then rethinking, I think, probably every single one of them. Um, <laughs> And then refocusing the, for tablets, so like really rebuilding the game, not the simulation, not the art, but like the entire user experience from like the ground up. I don't wish to pigeonhole you guys too much, but just to give me a general idea here, when you're comparing like uh, the average PC a person 
uses, which I understand is a very vague term, but compared to the average tablet, like how much power are you working with? Is that a, is that a fair question that you can <laughs> try? If we, if we, we could skip that if you want. I, I'm just kind of curious in general. Well, so, okay, so the, the if, you, if you look at the PC version, uh, so the part of, partially there are graphical distinctions to be drawn, but the, the biggest number probably is the PC could handle about I want to say a thousand to maybe fifteen hundred distinct NPCs on the screen at a given time. Um, so this could be visitors, this could be people that live in your tower, this could be anything. Uh, and we've capped the mobile version at three hundred, right? So it's like a four to five times just more agents on the screen at once, walking around doing stuff with the, for the PC version versus the uh, the tablet version. So that's that's probably the biggest difference. It's not the rendering, not the drawing, not the anything else, but just you have four times fewer people on screen. We can't simulate that many NPCs. Like it starts. That, that's where the computation cost starts to run into problems. Like three hundred NPCs on a PC is nothing. Uh, three hundred NPCs on a tablet was when things started to not run so well anymore because of the computational cost of running the simulation. Uh, if I butcher this, uh, so is that a factor of like the amount of RAM that's available on the PC? Uh, it's like the stuff that can be stored in memory. So that, that's part of it. Um, uh, it's it's more actually the processor. Uh, the, the the processor on the tablets is just it's just not what like not even a high end PC, but just sort of sort of an average PC, which is a vague term as you said. But <laughs> but uh, it's a the tablet is not designed for just handling all of these individual computations. Uh, I, the RAM that the tablet, the mobile version uses, isn't that much less actually than the console or than the the PC version. Um, it's 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 the it's the actual number of processes, the actual number of computations per second that need to be done by the CPU itself. When you're talking about developing for a tablet, basically you have to think about developing for a low end tablet from 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Now you, <laughs> uh, so now you had mentioned that originally you were targeting a mobile release and then it kind of expanded beyond that into a PC release. Uh, for a future uh, project, would you be looking, would this help you in keeping more inbounds of what a, a mobile device can do? I'm uh, seeing some shaking heads this here. This is our last mobile, this, is, this may be our last mobile game, that tablet game that we do. Uh, like our next game that we're starting to work on is a 3D game. So I don't know how we would do that on one of these things. So, like, I think our next game, we're going to really focus on making a PC game first. And then if we can find a way of making the mobile, I mean, who knows what, like, we're just starting our next game, so it's probably three years away. So who knows what these things will look like in three years. So I don't want to say never, but uh, mobile will be hard. Like, our next game is probably going to not run on one of these bad boys. Just so I can keep updated, uh, uh, so this game is already available on uh, PC, uh, PC and Mac. If I wanted to buy it, where could I buy it? Steam. Uh, it's on Steam. Uh, it's on GOG. If you go to somasim.com, we'll have all the links there for the places, the stores where it's available. But yeah, any place you buy a PC game, it'll be there. Okay, and then uh, if I want to keep updated on uh, where can I find the mobile version when it's coming out, where can I do that? Uh, same thing, somasim.com. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Next up, I'm viewing In Retrospect, designed by Andrew at Paper Salamander Games. Andrew, it's very nice to meet you. Thank you.
And uh, I was very interested because uh, it starts off, it looks like a runner. And there are definitely some running elements here, but it looks like you're expanding it way beyond that. Yeah, like, uh, I'm actually not that big of a fan of uh, auto runners, like, especially the ones with one button where you basically do the same thing over and over. So most of my inspiration comes from the Mario games where they keep throwing new elements at you and new power-ups and try to build the stages around those powers and things like that. So that's what I decided to do with this game. It's great that there are those diverse gameplay elements, but also it seemed like there were some narrative elements at work because they were describing, like, different, I guess, character qualities that would ch perhaps change over time, depending on what you collect. Yeah, so the basic idea is that you're going through your entire life. Well, really, you're, you're speaking about from the future. You're talking about the past, but you're kind of telling your life story. And I had this idea of breaking it up into six kind of key components of life, and whichever one you focus on, it will kind of change the gameplay a little bit, give you like certain power based on that. And then it also changes the dialogue and the story and everything. So, One thing that happens with a lot of these platformers is the kind of, uh, shall we say, uh, ball busters. It can be really hard. Uh, is this something you imagine this game going for, or is, do you want uh, like a more perhaps moderate difficulty? Well, so there's two modes. There's like a story mode and there's a challenge mode. The story mode's the main, like you're telling your whole story. There's 10 stages. Most people will probably die a few times, but I'm not trying to make it super hard. I'm planning on once you beat that, having harder, like, you know, harder re-going through that story mode. But really, I'm trying to make that so like everyone could get to the end. And then um, the challenge stages are where it will be very hard. Some of them, I want to have a whole variety. I like to me, one of the key inspirations for this is, is the Mario games, especially the newer ones, where like. You can get to the end of a Mario game now, usually without doing even like a half the content. You, and it's not that hard, but then the hard stuff comes later, and there'll be like some really killer stages later on. So that's what I'm going for. But yeah, I'm not trying to make one of these like throw your controller against the wall <laughs> games. It's, there will be some like bonus stages like that, but the main game I want everyone to be able to finish because it's very story based. And I think it would be kind of a shame if people were into the story, but they could never finish the game. Or, one other thing with Mario, you mentioned like there's kind of like the different difficulties and then later stages have more difficult platforming. There's also a collecting element to those games. Uh, could there be something like that here because there are so many different elements that you can collect throughout the game? Well, I mean, so you do collect these things uh, throughout the game. They kind of change the story and things like that. But otherwise, there's not much else you collect. You could get, you know, continues and keys to open, like lock parts of stages that you'll be able to go through if you get enough keys in that stage and things like that. But otherwise, there's not, I mean, it's really just at the moment focusing on, you know, whatever you're collecting for what story elements and what gameplay elements you want to change. Now, if I want to keep up, uh, if I want to find out more progress about this game, uh, where can I find that? So I have a website. It's inretrospectgame.com. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for your time. All right. No problem. Thanks. Now I'm here with Ian of Big Sur Games. I just took a quick look at Cosmos Quick Stop, the tutorial anyway. I, I, I'm sure I got the game unlocked, but just I want to leave something for someone else to try. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so Ian, can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration for this game? 
Uh, so it kind of all started in a game jam we did together, um, which was like, you were actually like managing the call center of hell. Um, and so you were like getting in orders like, oh, I got to send a demon. I got to possess a Ouija board, that kind of stuff. So we made that game in like 48 hours and we we're like, that's pretty fun. And then like six months later, we we're like, let's take that premise of like running around doing little things and bring it into like a more family friendly, marketable kind of area. So that's why we ended up with like silly space aliens and cartoony stuff and, you know, the bathroom being called Glorp Rooms. And so we're just really trying to find a silly, cartoony, funny thing that uh, isn't like violent or anything like that. There's definitely uh, a charm here with like the, the insect guys that are running the gas station and the different aliens that are coming in and out. Uh, like they have these cute little gifts that are like an arm or something like that. Uh, how'd that come about? Uh, so a lot of that comes from one of our team members who does most of the, the 3D modeling and the concept art is that we worked with him on a, a previous project and we kind of got a style out of him, but like we could tell like this was a very natural style for him. And so we're like, when we started this new project, we were like, well, this is what you're good at. Let's just go crazy. And then like he was doing stuff and then we would just push it an extra step further. Like we would have um, like we would want coffee in the game. And so instead of just having aliens get coffee, like they go and take hot coffee showers or like, you know, things like that, just like pushing it to the next level of just zany, crazy, funny. Now, the version I was playing had one player going on. Uh, one of the really fun, chaotic moments of these games when you get more than one player going on. Is that something that's in the works? Uh, we're talking about it. Uh, we're currently running a Kickstarter right now, and it's a, it's a stretch goal for us. Um, but we do really want to focus on the single player and the campaign mode, because um, we think a lot of the fun's going to be like uh, kind of optimizing your station for what you want. So like, if you don't like the hot coffee, you could put in the arcade or the animatronic band or you know all these kind of things. And each uh, section will have its own play style. Um, and so we really want to focus on that single player aspect. Multiplayer is a dream for us. Um, and if we can make it work, we'll get it working. But it's, it's, it's a bit of on a back burner right now. Now you mentioned something there that I, I guess I wasn't fully aware of is like if there are different stations you could customize to make the different kind of like mini games yes. as opposed to in these other kinds of games where it's just like you're you're given the mini game. Yeah, yeah. So kind of how it works is uh, as you progress through the game, you're going to be earning money and you'll be able to buy new uh, new modules that you can slot in and upgrade those modules. And each one will have a different kind of style of game to them. So uh, one might require you to go over and press a bunch of buttons every minute. One might have to, if you do, um, maintain it while aliens are there or not there. Like, we're really looking into, like, kind of differentiating gameplays. And so the ones you really like, you can keep playing with. And the ones you don't like, you can swap out and find something new. And then each upgrade of those is going to kind of diversify it even more. There'll be more recipes. There'll be more challenges. They'll, you'll be able to make more money, but it might be a little harder, you know, kind of thing going like that. Now, Ian, you did mention there's a Kickstarter, so I assume we can search Cosmos Quick Stop on Kickstarter. Yes. <laughs> Is there anywhere else we can find you if you want to be found? Uh, we have a website, uh, CosmosQuickStop.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Big Sur Games. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this. I'm looking at Cursed. You have to pronounce the exclamation point to make sure it's accurately titled. This is created by Foxbow Games. I'm here with Melissa and Stefan, who are they got a prototype here, and it's uh, pretty cool to me right now. It's uh, 
feels like a little bit like Clue, but way, way more intricate and like much more competitive, I would say. Uh, now, did you have your own inspirations when you were designing this game? Yeah, part of the, because it's card-based as far as combat and abilities go, and that, in college, we played uh, Star Wars Epic Duels a lot, and it had a similar card-based thing. So I thought I would take that sort of uh, sensibility with the cards and apply it to, rather than just fighting people, actually have objectives that you have to do. So complicate the game more, have a, a, a different type of board than just the battlefields of that game. Um, and then I think a couple other games in little ways have inspired it. We play all kinds Tickets of stuff with our friends. Ticket to Ride, Catan were some of the influences that we use when we incorporated developing this game. So Now the progression system you described was pretty compelling where you're actually getting weaker as the game progresses as you regain your humanity. Uh, can you describe how that came about when you were designing? Um, yeah, actually the original the idea for the game was completely different than this. Um, and it had to do with being a creature and instead of evolving, you were devolving. That didn't really make much sense as we started to develop it. Uh, and we came up with this idea instead of what if everyone's cursed and the point is to try to be human again. So it's as you, as you progress, um, as you finish your rituals, you're, since you're becoming more human, uh, you just get weaker and weaker. Uh, so that it came out of that de-evolution idea but it made way more sense with the, the curse premise. And I like the idea of having it of um, how, do you, how do you try to move faster in the game, but at the same time, you know that the closer you get to winning, the weaker you're going to be. So you always have to balance your strength against uh, winning quickly. And, what other, and it lets other people have a chance to maybe catch up to you as well and keeps, it, keeps someone from running away. With now, if I had a family, I, I don't have a family, but if I did... Uh, is this a game I could play with uh, my children, which again I don't have? But if I if I did have children, could I play with them, or is this like more for like a like a another adult audience? I think twelve and older, twelve and older would be a decent age. I don't think I mean for little kids maybe it could be depending on where the artwork goes with it. Maybe it will seem a little creepy, but I mean I think it's very simple. This is definitely the family method what we were presenting to you earlier. Um, just go out, grab your colors, so it can definitely help with like color coordination and things like that, but um, I'd say 12 is a pretty good audience. And uh, I, you mentioned that you were looking to kickstart this game in the future. Uh, for the time being, if I wanted to get an update, if I wanted to find you guys electronically, where could I find you? We're kind of new to this, so all we have is our email list of this event, but I would say starting out just on, uh, it's Barco's Books on Facebook, and that would be the best place to, to watch that, because that's where we'll, that's sort of a separate venture, but we'll be announcing on there as well about the game once we get everything else set up. But then in that case, I'll, just, I'll say thank you very much. So I'm here right now with John Davies of John Davies Games. Uh, we're taking a look at Just Right, uh, an elegant little uh, word game that uh, he's been showing me just now. I think I, I don't know if I mastered it, but I think I picked it up in a minute. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a word-building game very similar to Scrabble and Boggle. You're given the first letter, and you're given the last letter, and you're set to fill in the blank, basically. Um, the game also does open up to proper nouns, so those first and last letters can also be first and last initials. Uh, what I like to tell people is that if you know geography and celebrity, you're going to do really, really well with this game. And I think you're going to do a lot better than Scrabble and their stupid no proper noun rule. 
Uh, so, what inspired this in the first place? What was what caused you to start this game? Well, I uh, I consider myself a word nerd. I'm a big fan of Scrabble, a big fan of Bago. I love reading. I love crossword puzzles, and I just love language in general. Um, I took. I don't know how long it took me to make this, maybe six months or so. I started with 20 dice, 20 sided dice with limited alphabet on it. Obviously, I had to cut six from each. Um, found this uh, 30 sided die set that I found, painted them, kind of ran with the idea, and I'm just, I, I absolutely love it. I would love to get it apt. Um, if it was apt, it could be easily translated to just about every Latin based language on the planet, plus some. Obviously, some of the character-based languages it wouldn't work too well for, but there's a lot of potential for this for this game, I believe. Now, have you like broken this out with uh, friends and family before? And like, oh, yeah. uh, what's the what? Do you have a like an example of, like a really weird occurrence, or, like a combination of letters, or like an unusual word that came up because of a combo of letters? Absolutely. Well, the game is uh, the game is kind of based, or the answers are based on the table that's around you, the people that are around you. Uh, one time we had CX come up, really hard to try and build words with that. I got Crux, I got Crucifix, I threw down Charles Xavier from the X-Men, uh, which, you know, we, I, all, I got points for all of those, but a friend of mine at the table wrote down the words Cal Extenics, which doesn't exist in English. Everybody at the table laughed, it was hilarious. She got two points for that. She didn't get any points for anything else because she didn't write anything else down, but she got two points for that hilarious answer. And that's one of the great things about this game is that it's it's really up to the table what's acceptable for an answer. You know, JD comes up, I'm obviously going to write down John Davies because that's my initials. You can write down your initials if you want, but don't write down Jim Davis, who's just some dude that you know from high school because that's not really going to work. But the, C the CX, that Calex, that next answer, that was one of my favorite things, and I'll, I'll forever be thankful to her for, for bringing that one to the game. That was amazing. <laughs> so there is kind of like a, a meta game, not just of what words can you come up with, but what words can you come up with that you know the other people are not going to come up with? Oh, absolutely. It's called Just Right for a reason. You have one minute to just write whatever pops into your head, and that one minute seems like it's a long time, but... You get that. You get some crazy letters coming up, like CX, and that one minute's gonna seem like a lifetime. That's awesome. Now, uh, if we wanted to get in touch with you, uh, is there a place where you can get updates in the future uh, if you're gonna be putting this game out somewhere? I really hope I can get this game out there. There's really nowhere to get updates. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me at John Davies Games Gmail.com. We took a step outside of the noisy area. Now we're in the slightly less noisy area, talking about Codemancer being made by Important Little Games. I have the sound designer here, Allie. Hi. <laughs> um, my name's Allie Cedroni. I'm working on the sound design for the game. <laughs> now, can you tell me a little bit about how you joined onto the project? So I was actually contacted by Bobby. Uh, I go to a lot of the local Chicago game dev meetups, um, and uh, he actually was talking with my coworker George, who does a lot of indie games too, um, and he said, I have this other project, and George was like, hey, I know the right person for you, and he sent it my way, so we had a quick talk. Um, it was a really interesting project, so I decided to take it on, so I'm working as a contractor onto it, yeah. 
So this is primarily like a children's educational project. Does, like, do you get any extra, like, joy or does it make you feel any different way because it's like gonna help kids hopefully learn how to code and get money in the future? I mean, that's definitely fun. Uh, we actually just had a kid come by and play it, so that was the first time I'd been able to see a small child like playing it. I think he was maybe like seven or eight, and he was catching on really fast. Like, that was really exciting for me to finally see it in action. Um, but yeah, uh, I do like the concept of it being for kids. It's for like six to 12 year olds, and it kind of teaches them programming without really getting into the syntax of things. It's teaching them programming and the concept of like, it's magic in their world instead of programming, so it's a little easier to grasp. And it's just teaching them the logic behind it so that no matter what programming language, language you want to go into, you're just getting the problem-solving skills and the logic, not the syntax, not how to use it necessarily, because you can use it for so many different reasons. It's problem-solving skills. I think we, in my mind, I used to think of programming as like, you do this to become a programmer, but it seems like now it's led into a ton of different professions where like, you can do so many different uh, jobs that require like SQL coding or Java knowledge and stuff like that, and it's gonna be more important for young people to learn that stuff. Absolutely, we're definitely moving into more tech-based jobs. Um, even as a sound designer, someone who generally only does the creative work, I, I need to know how to implement my sounds into a game. I need to know how the programmers are doing things so that if I go in, I know what's going on, what bugs are causing my audio to do weird things, things like that. It always helps to know other people's disciplines too so you can work better as a team, that kind of thing. I think it's always a good skill to have in general. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up disciplines because, please pardon my ignorance, but I'm not familiar with exactly with what a sound designer does in a game. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. No worries, a lot of people don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Everything that is in a game generally needs a sound when you interact with it, whether that be the UI or the characters themselves. Uh, something as simple as a character jumping forward, well, does the character grow up over time? Like in our game, are there multiple different characters you can choose from? Do they all have different foot sounds? Like things like that. So uh, there are an exponential amount of sounds per game and you have to come up with what each one sounds like and then implement it in, um, depending on what game development software you're using. So, and sometimes it can uh, require composing, but luckily we have a separate composer <laughs> and he is killing it, he's doing a great job on that stuff, so I don't have to worry about it. Have you had to wear both of those hats for like a past project? For smaller projects, uh, I consider myself more familiar with sound design than composition. Um, I play some music, but I was never like trained in music theory, so I, I keep my distance if I can. <laughs> I'm working on it. Now we can find out more about this game, I'm assuming, at CodemancerGame.com. If I needed to hire you because my game needs sound design for, for other projects, where can I find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's Ali Cedroni. That's it. Uh, A-L-I-C-E-D-R-O-N-I. Um, I also have a website, same name. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm around <laughs> the city in general. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Find any like good stoops lately? <laughs> I have my own great stoop. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. I'm taking a look right now at Ground Floor Z, or maybe Ground Floors. <laughs> yes, Ground Floor Z. Okay, Ground Floor Z. I'm uh, with Gavin from Drunk Devs. He's been showing the game off tonight. And, uh, he had a pretty interesting comparison to like, uh, how this game is like a mashup of two other games. It's Happer and House of the Dead. 
Yeah, it's, it's sort of like Tapper, and then it plays a bit like House of the Dead as well. It's got just like a smidgen of elevator action in there, but mainly just the fact that you're in an elevator and also shooting out from it. So a lot of, it's got sort of the plate spinning and lane management of Tapper with some of the ammo management and saving civilians from the zombies of, uh, of House of the Dead in there. It can get pretty intense pretty fast. Like, there's a bunch of different uh, things you have to track between your ammo and your star ratings and stuff like that. Uh, how, what, how did this game come about? Like, what? Uh, when did you first start working on it? So I started working on this uh, about a year ago, and the idea came from I. I you did really good. You did really good. Uh, I stream game development on Twitch, and. Um, Sometimes people have a hard time, some of my viewers have a hard time coming up with ideas for games, and I can't stop the flow of ideas for games, so somebody was like, give me an idea. I went on to a random game name generator, and it was just like, uh, like, satanic elevator chaos or something, and I'm like, okay, so make a game about, like, saving civilians from zombies and stuff like that, and he was just like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it. So we started working on that about a year ago. Um, we've got our wonderful artist. He goes by the name of Wild Bear Art. Uh, our our kick-ass metal... Uh, uh, can I swear? You can swear. It's okay, fine. all right. Um, our, our, our awesome uh, metal composer who's just been making these absolutely like awesome tracks for it. I've been really lucky to work with. We've been working on this in our spare time for about a year now. And... Um, it's it's been a it's been a blast. It's been a blast. A labor of love, really. Now you described a secret mode to this game earlier, I believe. Yeah, it's it's got a drinking game mode because it originally came about because I like making games for accessibility. Um, I, I see a lot of people out there who only have access to one hand or maybe one finger, and there's most games they can't play. Really, the only game I found that people uh, with a, with one hand or stuff like that can play is Trials Fusion, which is a great game, but that game only goes so far. So I like making games where you can play them one-handed, uh, so you can play that. But I realized, well, what do you, if you're not one-handed, maybe we could put a drink in that hand. And since we're drunk devs, I feel like that's a pretty good mark to uh, kind of put on the industry. So we, we had the drinking game mode. It's secret. you got to put it in the Contra code so maybe the kiddies won't know about it. Uh, but if they want to drink apple juice worth it, that's perfectly fine as well. Now, if, uh, if we want to track progress on this game, where can we find you online? So you can track progress uh, on Twitter as well as you can watch us develop it pretty much 100% live on Twitch. We try and show as much of the development and process po as we possibly can. A lot of our actual viewer ideas actually get in the game. So the last week, so we, we, we try and get in a lot of viewer ideas as we can. Some things that popped in, like the ammo bar on the bottom, that was a viewer idea. We completely changed around our, our zombie boss spawn because it was really confusing before. People just didn't know what was happening. Some people thought they lost. They set down the controller. So watching us on Twitch is a big thing. Uh, that, that people can do to really track the development and even get their own ideas in as well. And that's uh, drunk devs at both spots. At drunk yeah, devs, at drunk devs at both spots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Looking here at the Moonfields, and are you the solo developer on this? So I'm the sole developer on the Moonfields. My name's Rafi. Uh, the company is called Lunar Signals. 
awesome, and it reminds me of a few other games that I've played, some fighting games, but I think it takes it in a cool new direction. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about like the inspirations behind the game? Okay, so the Moonfields is inspired by like inspired by Zelda, Smash Brothers, Street Fighter. Uh, I really, really love Dark Souls and that those kinds of like hard, brutal games. But also, I like fast-paced arcade games. There were a lot of different customization options I saw with like characters and equipment and like a loadout. How long did it take to come up with all that? I've been developing the game since January of this year, so it's been 11 months. Um, a lot of these ideas were just like things that have been running through my head for a while, so anywhere in between that. <laughs> the combat seems like there. I was just scratching the surface. I was playing a little bit, but like I, the combat I, seems like there are a lot of different like techniques and attacks. Do you see this as like a competitive game people can play? Yeah. So I think I on the surface level, it's like really easy to get into and play, but there are a lot of cool new ways to approach spatial control in in this like three D world. Um, so yeah, I definitely want people to break this down in a competitive way. Um, would you like to know some competitive things that I've learned? Please, yes. Cool. So, on a basic level, you have four different kinds of attacks. Uh, there's like stabbing attacks, there's uh, forehand attacks, backhand attacks, and overhead attacks. And depending on how you step around other people and depending on where their shields are, you have different, more viable attacks. It sounds super complicated, but essentially where you move changes where you're blocking, so that means the other person has to block has to attack in a different way. And it's really dynamic. You I end up I end up knowing depending on like what the other person's loadout is and what my loadout is, I'll approach them and I'll go move counterclockwise or clockwise and I'll plan to jump over their horizontal swings or I'll plan to like jump and like spike down on them and it gets super crazy and intricate. But I feel like I can digest strategy, that's one thing. I feel like other fighting games, like the, the button combinations are honestly just too hard for me sometimes, and this seems like it, it's much better about that, making it more elegant. Right, so like the technique is like difficult to understand, like the strategy is like, you can watch it, but um, the biggest part is that the implementation is really easy. So that's that's what I wanted. I wanted the like the strategy to be difficult, but the the actual implementation to be super super easy. You're making this by yourself. Do you have a timetable in mind for when you'd like to see it released, like fully? So right now, the multiplayer is feature complete, and um, you can get it right now on itch.io. Between now and release, which is about a year, I'll be working on a single player campaign and traveling throughout the Midwest, and hopefully, I get into some conventions on the coast. Um, and I'll be doing exhibitions and tournaments trying to generate interest in the competitive side. If I want to monitor progress, find out how things are going, uh, find you electronically, where can I do that? Cool. Uh, I have a Twitter, Lunar Signals, at Lunar Signals on Twitter. I also am on Instagram, at Lunar Signals. And if you tweet at me, I have an email list that I do like lots of like in-depth stuff. So you can tweet me your email, and that'll be that. Those are three ways to get at me. All right, awesome. Thank you so much. Sweet. Okay, I'm here looking at.
Namiyoki? Namiyoki? Namiyoki, Namiyoki Bottle Works. Namiyoki Bottle Works. And I'm talking with uh, David and Mike. Do you prefer Mike or Michael? Mike. Mike. All right, Mike and David. All right, so guys, the first thing that happened to me is there's a message you can look and read, and it's like, hey, you don't have time to read messages. <laughs> so was humor uh, a facet of this game you really wanted to hit on? Yeah, absolutely. I think we wanted to sort of set this tone where you're sort of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And uh, and that, that initial message is like, here's instructions, but you shouldn't be reading them. You need to get to work. And that, that's sort of the tone we wanted to start right away. Yeah, absolutely. It's been interesting to see people... Like, we have this phone message, and, like, if you play the game, main game mechanic, right, you can check your phone, or you can, or you, you could work. And it's just sort of this, like, I, you know, that I feel like that's, like, a very interesting dilemma. I think a lot of people put themselves in, in this position, right? Like, we go to work, we want to check our phone, but, hey, maybe not check your phone. Like, I don't know. But, hey, it might be important to check your phone. I, so you guys are Night City Games. I'm assuming this is a relatively small team. Yeah. It's just us two and a friend of ours who did the sound design for the game. And how do you guys divide up responsibility uh, when you're working on this title? Uh, it's pretty easy, right? Like, uh, I'm art dude, you're, you're, you're dev dude, and the other guy's sound dude. <laughs> yeah, so we have a dedicated artist. A dedicated sound person, and then and then me, I guess, who does the, the rest of the stuff. You talked a little bit about like the, the message you are working on with this game, like about some of the futility of working. <laughs> now, is there a, a broader narrative you're looking to incorporate? Yeah, like a, a, absolutely. So um, there's like two inspirations that we've had for this game. Uh, one is uh, Papers Please, and the other is Catherine. Uh, one, like both those games, have like there's this game mechanic, right, that you need to play through continuously. Like it's like over and over, over again, and it, like ramps up in difficulty. But in between, there's like these interesting narratives that like play out, and I think like that's what we're trying to achieve, right? Like these like branching narratives, like um, so we want to expand the bar scene a lot, right? Like all these these different characters are going to come in, and like you're gonna uh, you know interact with them and. If you don't interact with them, maybe they don't show up, or, you know, if you do, like, maybe you give them money. So there's all these things that can, like, complicate, like, the, the narrative structure. And, David, if you want to talk about sort of, like, what happens on the phone, like, the type of different messages that you get. So one of the main goals of the game as the player is to have enough money to pay your rent at the end of the week. However, um, different events will happen where you need to spend money to maybe help. Like you might get an email from your mom who says uh, their rent went up and unless you send them money they won't be able to afford it. Or you might get an email that says your brother uh, got sick and needs to go to the doctor, can you please send him money? And then you have to decide if you can make enough money at your crappy bottle job to help your family or if you need to actually focus on improving your workstation because you actually have to like lease all this equipment from the company itself so it's kind of a vicious circle situation so one thing i overheard you guys talking about indirectly is you were mentioning that perhaps a lot of these games here are running on unity i have the the barest understanding of unity i know it's a game engine and besides that i don't know what that means uh could you shed any light on like 
why Unity would be so ubiquitous? Uh, I think the primary reason is that it's uh, very accessible. Uh, both, I mean, I think it's accessible from a financial standpoint. They don't charge you anything, and it's also very um, user-friendly. So you can come in uh, and watch a lot of tutorials and learn how to do it. And, you know, I, I actually teach at Columbia College Chicago, and I, I teach my students Unity. So I, I think it's just sort of the de facto game engine for learning game development at this point. With regards to the art design, it was a... Uh all the characters like had this really stark black look to them, but they're like curved, but like kind of sad robots is my takeaway. Uh, how, how did that come about? What went into developing that? Um, so I, I think there's a couple things. Like one, it's like I were trying to create an interesting game, um, you know, and, and two, it's like I think like regular people are boring, sort of like, and so and plus like if we create these like more interesting characters. My hope is like people engage with them more. Like, why? Why is this this like? Weird, what, like, what is this weird blob? Like, why is he labeled 982? So, I, it's creating a world and creating a fiction around the game. Um, you know, initially when we started, it was just an assembly line. Like, you're just stamping bottles, and it's like, all right, well, we're gonna go to this bar and we're gonna interact with these like individuals, and um, I, it's just like a weird creative choice that that like uh you know i decided to take and it's like uh whether it pays off or not i i don't know but i just like i just like i feel like it fits like the style that i want to do and and, and, that, and that's why we chose it now if i want to keep up on this game keep track of progress uh where can i do that nightcitygames.com all right guys awesome thank you so much for your time thanks a lot thanks for talking to us yeah